Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. And my name is Sydney. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this analysis are Alessandro Maniscalco and Rebecca Johnson. You can find us all on Twitter individually, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we are going to discuss scene six of Justice League, which is the scene where Bruce debriefs with Alfred after his attempt to recruit Arthur Curry. Uh, And so they're on that airplane, which we'll talk about in a bit. But we'll start with uh, some overarching purposes for the scene or themes or character development that we see happening. I mean, for me, this is kind of one of those exposition scenes where they really want to just put some information out there about the characters that we're going to be seeing in the next scenes, like a little bit of a tease about The Flash and a little bit of tease about Cyborg because those are coming up next. Right. So definitely some exposition for that. But um, what else do you see in the scene kind of taking the, the broad view of it? Well, it ties in uh, with a major film theme, which is, uh, you know, Bruce is going to say it outright later on, but, you know, it's, uh, you know, we don't recognize this world, but we don't have to recognize it. We just have to save it. Uh, It's a similar theme to Wonder Woman, actually. Yeah, that there's a lot going on in the world. The the world is a big, complicated place, and there's sometimes a lot of negativity, violence, you know, anger, that sort of thing, stuff that you don't recognize or stuff that's different than what you're used to. Metahumans, for one. <laughs> yeah, but even with all of that, it's worth saving the world. It's worth trying to give the world a future so that it can hopefully, you know, grow and get better. Right. And it, it definitely shows a big change for Bruce because that entire mentality is pretty much the the opposite of where he was at in the beginning and middle of Batman v Superman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and with Bruce as well, like I agree that's kind of a bigger arc for him. And even in this movie, we're seeing him have to learn how to like make new friends. Right. Um, you know, if, if you have children, some of them make new friends very easily, but others they kind of have to learn and have advice on how to make new friends. And for him, he has he's really talking to Alfred uh, as like his only right, friend. Yeah, how are we going to get this team together? You know, like, did you talk to this person yet? You know, maybe you could try this person. Uh, so it's kind of funny in that sense. But it is character growth for Bruce. You know, he has Alfred, of course, as his kind of partner in this endeavor and a voice of wisdom and insight. But really, they're trying to figure out, you know, if we can find some playmates for Bruce because he's been pretty, you know, lonesome. And in the last movie, he was very isolated, you know. Right. And I mean, this is this is true to the comics as well, because even in the comics, when he's surrounded by, you know, like the Bat family, Nightwing and Batgirl and all of them, you know, those are the moments where Bruce is at his most lovable. But he's still uh, he's still a very, I guess, prickly person. Like he doesn't he doesn't play well with others and he's not very good at showing how he feels or being friendly so Mm -hmm. you can see him in this movie making attempts but it's always going to be a weird thing for him Mm -hmm. it's really is part of the character um not just the comics but so i do have young kids and so we even watch the lego dc superheroes movies so Mm -hmm. there's the lego batman movie but then there's even the direct to video you know home release ones that are pretty fun especially for kids yeah but even in those ones they they will make a character arc for him about like not really knowing how to be friends with the Justice League. Right. Like, he's a great companion in a fight or if he needs to strategize or plan for the team. But they they even play that up in those Lego movies that he doesn't quite know how to have just the personal bond with the other Justice League members. Right. And I prefer, you know, I I definitely prefer the the darker, grimmer Batman of the comics and Batman v Superman. Mm -hmm. But I actually really liked Lego Batman movie for just that reason because, you know, it was a parody 
But the idea that Bruce is difficult and, you know, kind of emotionally constipated and, and has a hard time connecting with others, that's that's totally real and, and true to the comics. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go through the scene in a little bit more detail. So it starts with an establishing shot where we see the airliner going by. So assuming this is actually a private jet, although it's a pretty big one, um, I guess that's fitting for Bruce Wayne. Billionaire, yeah. <laughs> And then I thought it's kind of funny. I didn't notice this until I was just getting ready for this conversation. But uh, when we cut into Bruce, we can hear the water trickling in the sink. And then he's like, you know, shaving there. But I actually like the water transition because we just came from Aquaman diving into the water. And it was all about Aquaman. And then we're pulled into this scene actually with water running. So it's just a very small little touch. But when I noticed it, I kind of got a smile on my face. Oh, yeah. I hadn't noticed that before. That actually is kind of cool. And, um, you know, Bruce is looking good here. It kind of looks like a razor commercial. <laughs> um, it definitely shows that uh, a little bit of time has passed since he uh, he met with Arthur. Yeah, and they have him shaving off, so that explains why he's clean-shaven after this. So they gave a little bit more attention to continuity with the beard coming off than they did with the beard growing on, because... <laughs> He didn't have a beard. You know, we talked about it when we uh, analyzed the previous scene, but that beard sort of came out of nowhere because he said he was going there tonight or something like that. He had the beard. They could already. have said it was a fake beard or something for a disguise, but then they had to have him shave it off here. So, <laughs> yeah. But going forward, you know, I'm, I'm not too much of a continuity, like, you know, hawk kind of thing. So I'll notice it sometimes, but it's not a big deal to me. But from this point on, we can just go, okay, he's clean shaven, so no, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Right. Now, that introduces Bruce, but then Alfred gets to come into the scene as well. Yeah, and his introduction, it's um, there's actually, a, I think, a really cool panning shot as Alfred is walking up the, the cabin there. Just the, the light coming from the windows behind him creates this nice flare, and I think it's actually a really um, um, impressive shot. Yeah, and I like how he starts like framed on the left, but then once he gets into the kind of room where the most of the scene will be, he ends up kind of on the right side of frame. Um, so it's kind of just a nice use of space as well. Right. Now, you noticed something that I totally missed. Um, how did you catch this and what did you notice? Oh, just complete coincidence. I think I was just, um, I was looking specifically in the background for some details. Uh, so I, I just noticed that um, so once uh, Bruce and Alfred start talking about Lex Luthor's notes. Uh, Bruce has a pile of papers kind of on the, the couch there. And one of them, it's, it's sort of underneath a bunch of other papers that have sketches of mother boxes. But it is a heavily annotated map of Belgium, which we know as a location from the Wonder Woman movie. Mm-hmm. And it is presumably, um, I guess, a location where Etta and the Oddfellows found the mother box, the one that... I guess eventually finds its way over to America and is used to create cyborg. Hmm. So Bruce has done a very thorough investigation yeah. of all these people. Yeah, that's interesting. So like later when cyborg explains kind of for the audience's benefit, but also the other Justice League members, he says like uh, the mother box was found by the British after World War One or something like that. So that's a reference to Etta. But actually, Bruce would have already known that. So that's really cool that Bruce's, you know, detective investigation skills already paid off even a century before. Right. So just some little background details. They don't spell out every single step of his investigation, but Mm -hmm. clearly it is wide reaching. Yeah. And he also, when he was looking back there in, you know, World War One era, he found the original photo of Diana and the Oddfellows. 
So he was, you know, pretty thorough in a lot of regards for that era. Yeah, he he probably invest tried to investigate everybody in the photo. Yeah, and that's um that's a nice connection really between this movie and the Wonder Woman movie, but this scene is not quite as coherently connected to some of the trailer material that was released for Justice League cuz uh people looking at the trailers noticed that there seemed to be a scene where Bruce was debriefing about Arthur Curry with Diana. Like this was where in the trailer he says, you know, like how did Diana ask him how did it go and he says, you know, more or less and she's like more more or more or less and he's like more or less. Mm, right. Like yeah. he So there was that whole banter where they like showed the whole banter in the trailer. So that seems like it must have been, you know, Bruce coming back from trying to get Arthur and getting thrown up against the wall. And then he's talking to Diana about how it went. But now in the theatrical release, he's doing this whole conversation, a different conversation, but he's talking to Alfred about, you know, how it went with Arthur Curry. So there's definitely like the maybe the the point at which Diana and Bruce like linked up and started like being a partner, maybe was shifted around. But we can't really know for sure. But it's just... That is a that is definitely something we can point to because it was explicitly in a trailer. Right. And I remember looking out for that scene. So I was a little disappointed when it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I don't know necessarily that this scene replaced that one. Um, I think timeline wise, he could have done this debriefing with Alfred. And then when he returned to Gotham done the debriefing with Diana, mm-hmm. which when might, maybe would be kind of redundant. So you you might only need one to have a coherent story. Yeah. Going with the uh, the scene with Alfred here, I think was important because it, it is some continuity with Batman v Superman, which you know showed that Alfred was the one that Bruce bounces his ideas off of, and mm-hmm. you know they have this this long working relationship together. So uh, it definitely gives Alfred something to do in a film that is mostly dominated by these these powerful superhuman characters. Yeah. And uh, Alessandro noticed, like, the clothing um, that Diana is wearing seems to be the same clothing that she is wearing when she walks up to the Batcave. That seems to match the clothing that she wears with the more, 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 less scene. Mm -hmm. So Alessandro says, like, it's not necessarily contradictory. Like you said, it might be like a double debriefing of how Aquaman is going in terms of recruitment or whatever. But um, if it is both then i can see why it was edited out for time because it's like yeah we already debriefed that so we don't need it twice so right um it, you know yeah i can i can kind of understand that although i did like the interaction between bruce and diana in that trailer scene right but speaking of aquaman so alfred in his debriefing of it he says you know like we have no way of reconnecting with this aquaman which that made me think about how you know, we mentioned Bruce's research into the past and stuff, but it also made me realize like, wow, it takes a lot of work to know where one of these metahumans is going to be so that you can actually be there to try to like interact with them or run into them. That's how they've managed to stay hidden this long. Mm-hmm. All the work to like find out about the King Tide and that he goes to help that village and then you have to get there on time, you know, for it. So a lot of work goes into just running into them. And then when that chance is gone, you don't know when your next chance might come around. This also is making me realize for the first time that it doesn't quite make sense in scene two when Batman says, let's go north tonight to find Aquaman, basically. Because if if it has to be the King Tide in this particular village at this particular time, it seems like he would have already had it on the calendar. Like, that's when we need to go to Iceland. Right. So it doesn't really make sense that it would be like a spur of the moment, like, all right, let's head north. 
it seems like it would have been a very planned like no this is our one chance to try to f- meet him is because he might be in this village at this specific time right well it's king tide i don't know if that would refer to a very specific moment in time maybe he figured he had a window in any case having your own private jet certainly helps if you're making spur of the moment trips to iceland <laughs> yeah so it didn't go well with aquaman and uh so we get the joke about the tracking device in his coat. And I think that's nice where he says it may not have been his coat. That that's a good little bit of humor and a good spot to have humor because this is kind of a decompression sort of scene. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was good. But it also, you know, for me, there's just this sense of like Aquaman is going to be the reluctant to join team member. Um, and so it's going to take something extra for him to actually change his mind and join. And later that ends up being like actually Steppenwolf coming down to Atlantis and taking that mother box. And then even that doesn't really get Aquaman to join the league. It's really talking to Mira. So it's like both of those things have to happen. So um, at this point, Bruce doesn't know what's going to happen with Aquaman. He thinks it's probably a dead end, but some stuff will spur Aquaman on so that he does come around later. Right. I mean, he doesn't know Bruce. He has no reason to trust him. Yeah, definitely not. So one thing that this scene does that many other scenes also do is uh just lots of explicit references to the uh the squares or the boxes um or the containers of some kind so here they talk about maybe they hold money power something worth starting a war over so they're definitely trying to make sure the audience can't miss this they need they need to hear about those boxes um you know several times already even just by scene six here's lots of drawings of boxes yeah, and the parademon exploded with the boxes, and then the boxes were inserted into the Iceland city. Like, So you'd have to be a pretty dense uh, audience member to not like get a clue about these boxes. <laughs> Just to make sure that you know that the, the magical, powerful-looking cube that the guy holds later on is important. <laughs> and if you still haven't gotten it, then Diana is literally going to explain it to you at, at a scene later, so... Right. I mean, obviously, there needs to be an explanation, but I, I, I think the, the least um, impressive thing about it is that it's shaped like a box. <laughs> <laughs> and earlier, he'd call it boxes. Uh, and then, like, with the papers that Alfred has and stuff, they're clearly drawn as three-dimensional cubes. So for me, so I'm in math education and mathematics, and so I know a lot about the research on kids, like, learning shape names. And one common, like, problem that happens is kids and even adults will call a cube a square <laughs> and they will kind of conflate two-dimensional shapes with three-dimensional shapes. So for me, it's it's something that like sticks out to me because at this scene when uh, Bruce brings it up, he says those squares in Luther's notes. Now, Luther might have drawn it as a square sometimes in his notes, but Bruce seems to know that they're actually not squares. They're actually cubes or boxes. So I thought it was like a little weird that he slips and calls it a square because Bruce also seems like a pretty smart guy who does know the difference between two dimensions and three dimensions. But it's... that's probably something that only a like math person or maybe a math educator would notice. Well, I mean, it's I mean it's a similar shape, just separated by one dimension. <laughs> but um, I he definitely has seen one before, um, unless he somehow hasn't connected that these things are the same as the mother box that we saw in the cyborg footage from Batman v Superman, Hmm. the one that was in Luther's uh, files. Yeah, I think, I mean, he hasn't, I don't think he has totally made that connection because if so, that would give him more information about what sort of power it has, you know, like, because he still seems to be like, maybe it's money, maybe it's power, something, you know, something really important. 
And if he had connected it and realized that it is that thing from the cyborg footage, then he would know it's like it's some sort of kind of technology that's able to like save a life or you know that sort of thing. He would know it's not. Right. He would know it's not money at least. Right. I, I think, and in this entire scene, the way they talk about um, Victor and the way they talk about Barry, they're being kind of, I think, vague about what their powers are like. I, and I think it's more they don't have enough information so that they don't want to jump to conclusions. They clearly know that there's something strange about these people and that's why they're investigating them. But even in Batman v Superman, we saw that Luther, he had a lot more information about these metahumans than just the the short clips that we saw. But they don't they're not necessarily very clear. I mean we're we're going to see it on screen again in in very soon in in this scene um like with Barry um showing him stopping the bank robber. So there's definitely more footage than that, but just like in that footage, you don't necessarily get a clear shot of him using his speed powers. Mm -hmm. So I I think Bruce and Alfred, they just don't want to jump to conclusions. I think this whole thing about the speed force just seems too insane. And they have to see it um, firsthand. Right. So speaking of uh, Barry Allen, so that's the next, you know, main part of the scene here is we get a little bit of info about Barry and a little bit of info about Vic. So Alfred has found this Barry Allen and there's some nice dialogue here because Alfred says he's completely off the grid. He's probably squatting or something, but he says, you know, he moves suddenly and often, Mm -hmm. which is this nice kind of double meaning. Um, He's moving around, but he also moves suddenly like, you know, somebody with the speed force might do. Right. And I, I guess what I, what I was saying is, so do they honestly not know or is he purposely making a, a pun there? Yeah, is it a pun just for the audience, or is it actually something that Alfred is saying, like, on purpose? Right, like, yeah. they, I mean, clearly, they've picked up on the fact that, okay, he moves around a lot, and he's very good at not being seen, but have they put that together with, he has super speed? Mm-hmm. Like, I would think that they would have to know, based on the information they have. I mean, the convenience store, it's not exactly clear what happens but it does seem to it seems to be you can tell he is moving you know like so right they seemed like they would have some sort of indication but you're right they're probably like they're not going to jump to conclusions they're gonna really weigh the evidence and think about like what do we know for sure right one one kind of strange thing about it is something i noticed this time around was when they show the convenience store footage in in this movie in this scene here i don't know if this is significant but we only see, we see the footage up until the moment where he uses his super speed to stop the robber. So for some reason in the footage here, we don't actually see that. So it kind of made me think, and maybe this is pessimistic for me to think, but it, it could be that they change things around a bit so that it's more plausible to think that Bruce and Alfred wouldn't necessarily know that he has super speed. Hmm. That doesn't entirely sit well with me, so it, it, there's probably nothing to it. It's just in the background, and, and it, you know, you're know you not supposed to think about it like that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just kind of thought that the way that they talk about it seems odd here. Mm-hmm. But it could just be, yes, they, they don't want to jump to conclusions. Clearly, this guy is doing something strange, <laughs> but this is um, it's something real. This is, this is, I mean, we're used to comic books, and, like, you know, we're, we're used to someone having strange powers, but if you think about it in a more real-world way, if something strange is happening in reality, you're not automatically going to assume, 
oh, this person has super speed or, oh, this person's an alien or something like that. You, you would try to, I think, dig up more evidence before making that kind of outrageous claim. Yeah, it's a, uh, what great claims require great evidence or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Which is why they need to find them and actually witness him use his abilities firsthand. Yeah. And when Barry does catch the batarang and stuff, mm-hmm. it seems like that is the moment where Bruce is like, okay, confirmed, like you are really fast. But I think Bruce knew that he has some sort of speed power or whatever. And that's why he threw the batarang at him. But it was only after he caught it that Bruce is like, okay, now I see more what I'm dealing with, you know. Exactly. And I'm sure you'll talk about this when you, when you get to that scene. But, you know, his he almost kind of sounds like he doesn't quite believe it when he says, so you're fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, think he, I think he knew, but didn't want to say it out loud. <laughs> Not yet. Yeah. And the uh, other information we get from Alfred here in the exposition is that um, Barry Allen visits his father who is in prison, uh, and the father is in, is in prison for killing his mother. So I think this is a nice... It gives us some crucial information about the character of Barry Allen and the origin story, but it's very vague, right? So like, if, if you know the comic books or if you know the Flash TV show or whatever, then that little line from Alfred clues into all kinds of backstory and stuff that you know about the character. Mm-hmm. But if you're just a regular audience member... That's just a little bit of information that's kind of intriguing, right? Like, the father's in prison for killing the mother. Did he actually kill the mother? If he did kill the mother, like, what was going on? Like, why would he kill his wife, you know, yeah. the, you know, Barry Allen's mother? If he didn't kill the mother, why is he in prison? Like, either way, it's kind of really intriguing where you want to know that story. And it, it gives you this information that you're like, whoa, like, so Barry Allen has gone through some stuff. Right. You know, he has no mother. He's lost his mother, but he's also kind of lost his father, but in a different way. To me, it's like a really intriguing way to just plant a seed for the character, and then we'll get to see it and start to develop it more in the next scene. Exactly. And in this scene, you know, even though we don't we don't get a whole lot of detail, we just sort of get the basic overview of what happened to Barry. I think Bruce connects to that immediately because... He definitely can relate to the fact that Barry has essentially been orphaned. Mm-hmm. And um, even though their circumstances were different, they both experienced this trauma in their childhood. So Bruce automatically, I think, relates to, to Barry in this moment. You know, he, he seems rather like shocked to hear that this happened to Barry. I also think that um, uh, Alfred mentions that Barry was nine. Uh, when this happened, you know, he mentions that, you know, Barry always believed that his father was innocent, but he was nine. So no one believed him. And I think, um, I mean, I don't know if it was ever mentioned for certain, but I think that's probably around the same age that uh, Bruce was when his parents died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like within a couple years or so. Yeah, right. But definitely the kind of like preteen. Yeah, losing a parent like that. Exactly. And I, I think, um, I mean, you, you can see this in, in the comics. I always see that that Flash and Batman always get along surprisingly well. Because they have very different personalities, but I think they have some very ch- similar trauma in their background. And they're both sort of scientifically minded individuals. Yeah. So there, there's a lot that connects the two of them. Yeah. Uh, it seems like some of it was kind of untapped in this movie. Because mm-hmm. um, like, as an audience, I feel like we get some good development for Barry and some good payoffs for his, his kind of backstory and stuff. Um, but Bruce does not really have explicit connections to like the orphan angle that you were talking about or the interest in science. I guess there is a little bit of a payoff to the 
interest in like technology and stuff like with Bruce admiring the suit and all that the Flash's suit that he made so there's a little bit of that but they definitely don't kind of connect on the emotional orphan kind of level well they don't they don't um they don't elaborate on it much in this movie but it's something that the audience knows like everybody knows batman's origin story like his background right so you, you just sort of know that what bruce must be thinking in this moment right and like we've talked about in our analysis of the movie they're connected in the sense that they're both dealing with loss and that theme runs throughout the whole movie so there that connects them but yeah they don't explicitly have them like you know, have dialogue, you know, for the people that always want everything to be in dialogue, we don't have Bruce and Barry just talking about their mothers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But that'll have to be for uh, another film. Yep. Uh, cool. So then uh, that's kind of Barry. The next one that gets referred to is Diana. So Bruce asks, you know, what about Diana? I think it's funny how he kind of like walks away from Alfred and kind of he tries to nonchalantly just ask about Diana. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's <laughs> But like... Alfred kind of knows like... <laughs> Oh yeah, you're you're interested in whether she's might be part of this or not, right? And it it's kind of um I think a continuation of this sort of implied attraction between Bruce and Diana in Batman v Superman. Yeah, it's it's a little bit less subtle here because um you don't necessarily have to see it that way. I think even in this movie, they never go so far as to say that like these two have romantic feelings for each other and they're going to get together or anything like they they just have a lot of chemistry mm-hmm. but they're de- like it, it, batman and superman they had chemistry and they kind of danced around each other it's a little bit more um heavy here <laughs> i guess mm-hmm. kind of funny like kind of hinting that bruce might actually have feelings for her it never goes anywhere but it um it feels like a continuation from the previous movie mm-hmm yeah, I think so. And Alfred, I think, is a good way to bring it forward between the two movies mm-hmm. because of knowing Bruce and because of NBVS, like talking about how he kind of wishes that he would find a woman, you know, to make him honest mm-hmm. and stuff. So I think right. that is good connective tissue and it makes sense. Right. The handwritten note got a good laugh in the theaters that I was in, you know, check yes or no, will you be Bruce's teammate, that kind of thing. Same here. I don't love that line, although the audience seemed to, but I do like the skill set line um, where he says, I'm just interested in her skill set. And you're like, I'm sure you are. Like, to me, I like that second joke better than the first joke. Right. It was it was funny to me. And you're right. It does seem like totally something like Alfred would do. He he definitely ships it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're right. I mean, even in the previous movie, he's very interested in Bruce's relationships or, you know, non-relationships as it is. Yeah. Um, and this one, I I will say, like, um, there is a payoff here. Uh, like, it's not just continuing from BVS, and it's not just kind of teasing it here. But I think about at the very end, when they go into Wayne Manor, and it's Bruce and Diana walking into it together, and Alfred is, like, right behind him, kind of smiling. Mm-hmm. And to me, that, that moment at the end is a direct kind of payoff of this moment here, where he's kind of teasing Bruce about, you know, having some interest in Diana, but not doing anything about it yet. Right. And I actually um, I actually talked about this on uh, the DCEU Cinematic Minute. A lot of people are going to have very strong feelings about, you know, the whole shipping thing, like who's in a relationship with who. You know, for my part, I, I always like the idea of a Bruce and Diana romantic relationship. It, it happens sometimes in the comics. It's not um, super common, but it has a fan following. Uh, that being said, I don't really know if it would be a good thing to do in the movies just because it would be so 
divisive. Mm -hmm. But in any case, I feel like their relationship, whatever it is, is a very good one, especially in these movies. Um, Because Bruce and Diana, I think they're shown to have very similar and complementary temperaments. Like they're, they're both very intelligent. They're both very wise about the ways of the world. Um, so the two of them work really well together, and they're essentially the co-leads of this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the film, I think, walks the line of suggesting that there could be some kind of attraction between them, but never really going there. And I think that might be good to satisfy both sides, you know, pro-Wonderbat, anti-Wonderbat. Mm-hmm. Kind of feels like they're throwing the Wonderbat fans a bone, but not not really committing. Yeah. No, I agree with all of that. And I think it's a good call that they've planted some seeds for it but they pushed it down to the future because like this movie came out only a few months after wonder woman and so if wonder woman had this really kind of great thing between steve and diana it seems like it would be weird to just a few months later like put diana into another relationship so i think it's definitely the right call for the reasons you said and to just let the steve diana thing have longer you know period of time for it to just sink into be appreciated yeah be appreciated and to like let the audience fully like digest it and kind of be ready to move on a few a few films in the future right and nothing against romantic relationships in movies it's just i think as a subplot romantic relationships kind of tend to take up i I guess like a lot of space in a movie Mm -hmm. so um Mm -hmm. these these characters have it's like it's like gal gadot said you know she has more important things to be worrying about right now than Mm -hmm dating um wonder woman actually did i mean it was a little hint you know that the the beginning and end of the movie she gets the uh the original print of the photo from bruce so it it does kind of show there's there's a continuation between batman v superman wonder woman and then this film of her and bruce Mm -hmm. working together Mm -hmm. so it's just kind of a thread that's that's connecting everything together yeah So let's go to the last part here of the scene, which is Victor Stone. So we get a little bit of exposition, you know, a a first little tease of the character, um, besides what we saw in BVS, but for Justice League here, mentions genius IQ. So we know like, all right, we're dealing with somebody who's like whip smart, you know, Um, he's not just athletic, but he also has a a lot of smarts to go with that. Um, It's scholarship to GCU, Gotham City University. And the photos that are shown show Vic in football situations, like with his football, you know, pads on and and, uh, uniform on and everything. I thought that was a really great choice because he's this human, but he is surrounded by these pads and a helmet and this kind of technology and gear like attached right to his body. And so to me, that's kind of a nice foreshadowing of him as cyborg when he will have these medic, you know, all of it will be these metal apparatus and stuff, or not really metal, but, you know, apocalyptic technology. So we see kind of this human rudimentary tech in the form of football pads and helmet, and then we'll see the apocalyptic technology that's a much more advanced technology, but it's still taking the place of his body, and you kind of just see his face as the only thing exposed. Right, and I can see that, and I, I kind of think um, this is probably the intent in the comics as well. But you know, here they they emphasize that you're right. And he's not just athletic; he's also very intelligent. So that actually it, it makes him feel a lot like a cyborg even before he became one. You know, he's got both the physical strength and sort of a an intelligent computing mind. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important too because it shows. Later on, when he's gaining these new powers and he's having to go through lots of information and figure out, you know, how to use his new powers, 
it's not just that anybody could have, you know, gotten created by the mother box and then become cyborg. He had to have the intelligence to be able to like think through and work through all of the stuff that the mother box is trying to like send through his brain and like through his body, you know? Mm -hmm. So yeah, like maybe somebody else could have been like a version of cyborg, but only Vic Stone could be the version of cyborg that we got. Like he brought some of himself still into it to process what was going on and to deal with like adapt to the changes you know, that's like a form of intelligence to be able to adapt to some new situations or to um, something new that's thrust upon you and like, oh, I can deal with it. I can figure out what's going on and try to move forward with it. Like that's a form of intelligence that he has and is able to, you know, eventually use. There's some growing pains and stuff. But... That's Borg life, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he can interface with it. It's um, He can make the most use of those powers, I think, more than any person. Because every superhero is, it, they're more than just their powers. They, they're always, they're, or they're usually exemplary for some other reason, um, either before or despite their powers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one thing that's uh, maybe people have seen online, but we'll just mention it here because they say that he was um, playing football for Gotham City University. So Ray Fisher did confirm that Vic was a star for Gotham City University's football team, um, but then his accident is what led to GCU really getting much worse at football. And so in BVS, we saw GCU getting blown out by Metropolis. And Ray Fisher said, like, that was not just an accident. That was actually planned to show that GCU was floundering without their star, Vic Stone. Right. And this was later confirmed by Snyder as well in a Vero post. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's cool to just see even little details like that of just, like, the score of the football game. They actually thought about, like, putting a little bit of extra meaning behind that score. I, I like stuff like that. Right, because I remember in Batman of Superman when I when I first saw that that football scene, I thought we might see a, a cameo of um yeah, of Victor. I thought so, but too. of course, since that happened after his accident, they were more trying to show that this is what happened to GCU's team after Victor supposedly died. Right. Yeah, like at the time, I I thought maybe we would see Vic there um, as a tease of Cyborg, mm -hmm. but then when I didn't see. Um, Vic in it I thought oh it's not cyborg related I thought maybe it was just showing that like Gotham is the downtrodden city and Metropolis is like the shining you know city shimmering city on the hill so I thought it was well, it just also that you know yeah it, I guess it is also that yeah <laughs> but it's nice right to have it's multi-layered <laughs> yeah like Zack Snyder just said on Vero that he loves double meanings to things so and we love them too <laughs> Um, and then the last little bit here is, uh, you know, Alfred says, and he delivers it very crisply, uh, deceased. Now, we take that to mean that, according to public records, he's deceased. But we think that Bruce and Alfred have kind of some indication or some information that says, like, ah, he might still be alive in some form, and that's why they're looking for him um, still. So I, I take it as, like, you know, publicly he has been listed as deceased. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because otherwise um, their wording here is a little bit strange because it's despite what they've seen from this footage in Batman v Superman, they, they kind of seem to pretend here that they don't know any of that. Um, or maybe it's that uh, the Batman v Superman footage doesn't imply that he survived whatever it is his father did to him with the mother box. Mm -hmm. But they, they just kind of seem very confused, like kind of like they're starting over from square one instead of building off of what we saw in Batman v Superman. 
Yeah, I just I take it as you know they they saw that clip from BBS and they're they have him on their list, their short list of people that they're trying to find because I think they suspect or have a little bit of information that he might have you know this technological power, um, but. I think Alfred's just kind of reporting like the status of Vic Stone in the like, you know, newspaper record and stuff is that he's deceased. Right. Yeah. Uh, I like the deceased angle too, um, because that literally brings in the idea of death. And so then Cyborg is kind of like a rebirth. And I think that connects Cyborg to Superman. And the filmmakers, I think, were also thinking of this because at the very end, it's Superman and Cyborg that say to each other, like, I, I actually like being alive. Right. So they say that because they've actually like had brushes with death. Exactly. And both come back, I guess, stronger for it. Yeah. Yeah. It does still seem like, uh, I mean, I, I don't know for certain, but it, it does seem like there could be maybe a tiny bit of retconning. Once again, I couldn't say, but yeah. it's, it, it does seem suspect that we don't see actually see the BVS cyborg footage here, even though we we do see little bits of the, the Aquaman and Flash footage. Yeah. And Alessandro, like he was definitely keying in on this as a, suspecting a retcon of cyborg for me i don't get the retcon from this scene but later on i it does get a little bit messy like trying to line up bvs with justice league for cyborg's angle but for me in this scene i'm kind of fine with it i'm like yeah you can have other images of cyborg up that's fine it doesn't have to always be exactly the same stuff from bvs but later on there seems to be some discrepancies about like how cyborg looks before the mother box incident right and they could just be talking about it the way that they do because like with flash maybe they're just holding out for more information yeah confirmation of what happened right now the last little beat here is uh where alfred makes another kind of joke you know dry humor where he says one misses the days where one's biggest concern was uh exploding wind-up penguins so a nice little reference to penguin there Mm -hmm. but also just you know this kind of Alfred making a dry comment about like, we're kind of going into some uncharted territory here. Like we're heading forward into some new challenges. Although it's already weird that they uh, were dealing with exploding wind up penguins. It's not like that happens everywhere. <laughs> yeah. As if that's but, like a very normal common kind of occurrence. Yeah. So their, their reference for what's normal is a little off. Um, but I do love that. That's another line that um, suggests a, a larger, more established universe. Mm-hmm. for these characters yeah like we didn't get any we don't get anything as explicit uh or visual as like the robin suit to refer to like the 20-year history but we do get this kind of dialogue of yeah like oh in that 20-year history you know the penguin was involved in some of that right yeah so, that's... so i great references there and you know definitely something to expand upon in the future yep and then that that little bit of dry humor leads to a more of a kind of meaningful um, comment from Alfred we're not only dealing with the parademons but now we're also trying to recruit you know this Aquaman guy this Flash guy this cyborg guy um, we're we're becoming sort of semi friends with Diana maybe um, so this you know it makes sense that Alfred would be like I don't recognize this world right like the threats are different and the people that we're maybe trying to team up with are metahumans so this is a very different kind of world um, yeah so that leads to you know Bruce's response you don't need to recognize it, uh, just need to save it. Uh, and you know, like we said at the beginning of this episode, that's definitely a major theme of, of this movie. It seems like thematically it syncs with the Wonder Woman film very well. Mm-hmm. And it's a definite sign of Bruce's development as a character. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked about this uh, saving the world or like, is the world worth saving? Yes, it is, even with its flaws and stuff. We've talked about this as being a Justice League universe theme, like across all the movies. And I think that that case could be made pretty convincingly that in all the movies, there's kind of the question is raised, like, is this world worth saving? And then it's always answered. Yes, it is. You know, even though we've seen some of the negative things, we've seen some stuff that's hard for even the audience to kind of digest because it's not always like good, happy stuff that you're seeing, but it's realistic. But at the end, it's always affirmative. Like, yes, we do want to save the world. Right. I mean, it's a superhero story. So, you know, you, it's always about the uh, the saving people. Yeah. And it's it's kind of incredible for Bruce because especially responding to, to what Alfred said, you know, Alfred is expressing that, you know, things are changing and Bruce is showing that he's embracing change or he's coming to, to understand it. You know, in, in Batman v Superman, he was all you know, the world only makes sense if you force it to. All of his actions were about trying to impose some kind of order on the world, you know, to, to make the world make sense. Mm-hmm. But now he's he's become much more open. Mm-hmm. Much more open to things that are, you know, different situations. <laughs> yeah. And to me, I also think about how, like, when they're saying, all right, yeah, we, we are going to save the world. There's kind of different ways to think about that. And this, to me, connects to, like, reality of like what we're dealing with in our actual world here like when you see some negativity in the world but you realize oh it's still worth saving does that mean we want to save it for the future and continue to progress and try to like make the world better than it was in the past or is it like i want to go back to how things were before like alfred kind of saying like you know hey remember when we just were dealing with this and i don't recognize this new stuff Um, Some people, I think they have a tendency that they want to go back, like they want to go back to the feeling of comfort before they realized some of the things that actually go on. But others are more like that. Let's let's move forward. And yeah, there are some problems, some negativity, violence, anger, but we want to move forward through it and get to a new place that's better, like out in the future. Right. So for me, this this movie takes the kind of more progressive one, like. Well, and I think Wonder Woman, too. It's like, yeah, we recognize some of this negativity, but let's have hope and optimism in like what it could be in the future. So it's more of a kind of forward-leaning kind of like saving of the world. Right. And, and I think it, it even takes a step forward because Wonder Woman was, yeah, about accepting accepting the world as it is and still choosing to, to have hope and be positive. And this film takes it a step further, which is, yeah, accepting the world as it is, but also accepting change mm-hmm. um you know bruce before he definitely had an, an underlying fear and hatred of i guess you could say metahumans in general he only knew about superman but superman was 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 different something he couldn't predict and that you know that that scared and angered him but now he realizes that you know superman he was different but he can also save the world so he's he's embracing a new way of of you know being a hero so it's it's not it's beyond even just accepting the world as it is it's it's accepting that it's going to change and that's going to make the world better all right i think that does it for us on justice league scene six next up we're going to switch back over to wonder woman and make some more progress over there but thanks so much for listening hope you enjoyed it and thanks also to the suicide squadcast and man of steel answers